Welcome to Practice Purchase Season 6. This is an episode interview with Jason Auerbach. And uh, what's interesting, if you don't recognize the name Jason Auerbach, I guarantee you, if you've been anywhere near Dental social media in the last couple of years, you actually know who he is. Uh, his handle on a lot of social media is Bloody Tooth Guy, and he's everywhere. Uh, and I love my conversation with Jason because... He has bought and sold multiple practices. He's been an associate. He's hired associates. And he thinks like an owner. And what's interesting about this episode, and one of the things I think you'll really get out of this episode, is to hear someone talk about what it's like to interview and hire an associate who could potentially be a partner. So Jason talks a lot about what it takes to own and, and run multiple practices, which, of course, is good information for a lot of you that are thinking about doing something similar. But it's also really telling to hear what he says about associates and people that are you know, applying for jobs where he may bring them on as a partner someday or may sell them the practice someday. He's got a lot of good tips. This uh, episode was broken into two parts. So here is part one. Welcome back to the Practice Purchase Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brian Hanks. I am joined today by a very special guest, Dr. Jason Auerbach, aka Bloody Tooth Guy on social media. Um, Jason, hello. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Brian. Looking forward to it. Me too. Uh, this season, season six that we're doing um, for buyers is all about some of the ancillary topics around transition, some of the things that come up often. And of course, one of those topics are DSOs. Um, you are not, uh, we didn't get you on because you're, um, an oral surgeon, although that's a huge benefit. We didn't get you on because you've bought and sold multiple practices, although that's a huge benefit, um, or that you're an expert in DSOs. It's just that you have so much broad experience and exposure to so many different dentists that you have, um, a wealth of like, you just, you understand the conversations that are happening out there and you have a unique perspective from your vantage point and from your experience. So, if you don't mind, for those of us who just follow the bloody teeth on Instagram and Facebook, other, uh, you know, all the different socials that you're on, can you tell us about just like how you got started? I, my understanding is you started from zilch, nothing to where you're at today. Uh, how many practices have you bought and sold? And then, you know, what are you doing now? Fair. Um, so like, you know, like most oral surgeons who come out of training, I, I came out, I was young, I was 29 years old. Uh, most are now in their early 30s, but I, I actually had this kind of like accelerated version of it, uh, which was great. And I came out, I started working for two of my attendings as an associate uh, full time. But like most oral surgeons, we tend to be a little bit, uh, let's say, focused on work and 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 do a lot more than than maybe most others would. So I started working part-time for an oral surgeon out here in New Jersey. I'm from Long Island originally, went to dental school at NYU, trained in Brooklyn, so very New York-centric, came out of uh, residency and started working for two attendings in Manhattan, and then slowly realized that I really wanted to move out to the suburbs. So I started as an associate in uh, in northern New Jersey, in Bergen County, which is where I am now. And like many associates, not just oral surgeons, but dental specialists and, and general dentists, and probably all healthcare providers, uh, what was uh, advertised, let's say, wasn't necessarily what came to fruition. Uh, so to me, that has been the cornerstone of, of kind of building my own practice. I was, I was an associate for three years and then uh, very, very uh, abruptly, if you will, had to make a decision to kind of go out on my own. So in February of 2007, I left the practice. I was part 
uh, practicing at. I was working in nine different offices as an itinerant surgeon, doing surgery all over from upstate New York all the way down to South Jersey, outer boroughs of Manhattan. But I found uh, a location in northern New Jersey, and I was able to open a practice. I started with three people, all of whom are still with me, uh, and we grew that practice, Riverside Oral Surgery, to 12 locations before we had any outside financing at all. So we did that. The kind of thesis that we were working under was we would find practices that had very good reputations providing solid care, but maybe had an antiquated office or a limited uh, mix of procedures that they were performing, but they were on the periphery of our zone of influence. And as such, we were able to acquire those practices backfill them with a younger associate, put some money into marketing and technology and uh, outfit the offices to be Riverside Oral Surgery worthy. Uh, ultimately, we extended beyond our catch base and into areas where I didn't enjoy a reputation and we were able to grow and, and prove out that the system worked. Uh, we did that all through you know, the, the 20 teens. And then as private equity and large scale DSOs became more interested in specialty dentistry, specifically oral surgery, of course, like many people, we were approached by pretty much every large scale. Every you know, yeah, exactly. So we had like, a, you know, general dental DSOs, multi-specialty DSOs, uh, really kind of what we call strategics, you know, lar large scale oral surgery platforms. None of them really were the right fit for us. So we set out to find uh, private equity sponsors who would kind of support what we were trying to do, which was to build a surgeon led surgeon run oral surgery specific uh, DSO, you know, kind of bad word in the world of dentistry, but, but, you know, basically private equity backed platform of oral surgeons that were focused on patient experience, patient care. And, and that's what we did with Max uh, surgical specialty. Cards on the table. I want to go back to the three years out of school here moment just for a second, but cards on the yeah. table, just so folks know, we don't, um, we've talked a little bit about DSOs on the podcast. Our audience are buyers. Um, sometimes buyers are competing with DSOs. It's not as often as they fear is going to be the case. Um, uh, but just, yeah, cards on the table. I'm not anti-DSO. I, I love private practice. I think if there's a role for DSO, there's a, a actually um, a surgeon that uh, I know very well who is uh, 48 years old, um, thinks he may be developing a hand tremor, didn't know for sure, was a little bit worried, and the right move for him and his family and his uh, financial investment in both his career and um, what he you know wants to do to protect his family was to take some risk off the table and sell part of his practice to a DSO. So um, there are tons of situations like that that make perfect sense. So there's a role. Um, and I'm not necessarily, and I, like you said, dirty word, you know, some people are so anti and, and all of that. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit more pragmatic, but you, so you've, you've built um, a very impressive set of practices, not to mention, you didn't even talk about your social media stuff, stuff, which um, we, we can, and we don't have to come back to, but um there you are. You're, you're out of school three years. You said you, you kind of breezed past it pretty fast, but you said there was a conversation that was disappointing or you kind of led to believe something that wasn't true. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And then just by the way, just so you know, my next question is going to be, how do you avoid doing something similar with the associates that now work for you? Right. Because that's the trick with um, buying multiple practices. But yeah, talk about your experience first, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, um, 
as I said, I was working full time in Manhattan and at the same time was looking to to do more. And I, I found a practice. And and so let me just say this, despite the fact that uh the situation did not end up the way that I had initially hoped it would. It turned out to be the best thing for me. And I'd learned a ton from that situation. Not just like I learned a ton by having a failure, meaning I learned a ton in terms of how to relate with referring doctors. I learned a ton in terms of how to relate with staff, how to relate with patients. So I got a lot out of it. And again, although it did not turn out the way I would have hoped it, would have turned out it it was a tremendously important stepping stone for my career so basically uh you know it was like anything else yes you're going to be partner of course you know i was living in manhattan at the time come move out move out to jersey and and you know start a family and and the whole the whole situation and i was pot committed i was totally hook line and sinker the practice was growing substantially with my presence there uh, back up for a second Sounds like you came in as an associate with no defined date for a buy-in and no defined price for a buy-in. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's okay. that's exactly okay. fair. Now, now understanding when I came out, there were no DSOs. Well, not that there not were no sure. DSOs. No, there no, were, it, was there, like, it was it wasn't even really a thing. Right? It wasn't really a thing. When I I came out in two thousand three, and the of course every academic program director chairman would say you want to negotiate you want to understand what the what the what the basis is when you enter so that yeah. you know what you're actually buying and i respect that and frankly i was of that mindset now as a, you know fast forward as a practice owner it's difficult to do that because the the sure. younger associate truly doesn't even understand what practice ownership means they generally want it but they don't really know what it entails other than like the benefits of practice ownership they don't really think about the responsibilities of practice ownership by and large i have avoided problems in the future i've only had in the history of riverside oral surgery i've only had one associate leave riverside oral surgery and he did to move to san diego in the middle of the pandemic so in the history of my practice, I've never lost an associate because I've, I'm very straightforward. I'm very honest with them up front. Um, things have changed substantially since we have private equity now. But the fact is, is like all of my quote unquote associates are now my partners. Every single one of them was granted equity on the on the actual deal. And and every single one of them, maybe with the exception of one or maybe two, have also invested their own funds. So so I, I've been very, very fortunate. Listen, I have people who believe in my vision. I've been able to communicate that vision. I personally am very passionate about what we're doing. And so I've been very, very fortunate over the course of my career to have um, been surrounded by people who are who are believers, right? So that's that's how I don't that's that's really what it is for me again i was promised a, a great deal that that did not come to pass the deal kind of changed over the course of time and i was i was a young kid business mind, minded sure. entrepreneurial not risk averse um but but still still things changed and i was in a disadvantaged position in the sense that i had no life experience other than, you know i was i was a 30 x year old young person and you know i was i had a young two young children and a new home and all that kind of stuff so if you look back like i'm sure as the associate who was promised x y z and then was offered a b and c and kind of felt the bait and switch um yep. 
with with now the multi-practice ownership ball cap on and glasses to, to look through a different set of lenses, um, how would you, you know, if you could go back in time and talk to your 30X year old self, what, what would you tell that person? Because that's what the audience that you're talking to is thinking about right now. Right. Listen, I, I would I would say you need to be very well informed. Now, so much has changed in the industry. So much has changed macroeconomically uh, that younger younger residents or let, let's take any dental professional coming out. Most are saddled with a great deal of debt, even though that debt is relatively low interest rate debt, uh, their real life debt that they're about to enter into buy a house or whatever it is, is not low interest rate debt. And even though you make a fair amount of money, you live in a world where things cost a lot of money and you just got to be really smart about things. Just because you make money does not make you you know, successful. You have to think about kind of setting things up from a, from a life perspective and from, I'm sorry, from a professional perspective. You have to figure out like, and it takes time. Not everybody knows this going in. I certainly didn't. You have to figure out what moves you, what what you're passionate about and what you have an aptitude for so that you can present to any existing business, organization, practice, whatever, that you are differentiated and that you are someone who could bring something to the table beyond taking teeth out, beyond doing the fillings. General dentistry, unfortunately, is in the DSO world, highly commoditized, right? So you're either this kind of like high-end cosmetic dentist doing the kind of work on the patients that you want, but that takes a long time to develop a reputation. Everybody sees these, uh, you know, these these guys on, men and women on social media now who live their lives very, very well, but they've been doing it for 20 years. Most people think like this happens immediately. I'm 50 years old. It took me a long time to get to where I am. Everyone wants to all of a sudden have the freedom that I have and and, and kind of the, the leverage that I have. But ultimately, it took me many, many years. When I was 35, 40 years old, I didn't, I wasn't who I am now. And I think a, a lot of that is kind of misunderstood by the younger generation. Like some things take time. You know, Gary Vee said macro patience, right? You just got to be patient, macro, micro, micro urgency, though. Know?